And today we are going to find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah. Amen. And so if you are a Bible student, you've probably read Nehemiah. If you just started reading the Bible, you probably like, where is Nehemiah? Amen. <laughs> and so we're going to be in the Old Testament. Uh, how about this? I'll give you a, a shortcut, right? Psalms is right in the middle. So it's going to be to the left of Psalm. Amen. So go ahead and go backwards from there. Um, but we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. And if you wouldn't mind today, If you would stand to your feet um, across all campuses, stand to your feet. Uh, I want to open this message by going before our Heavenly Father together in prayer um, with great expectation. Today, um, I pray that we will hear the heart of of God during our time together. This is not going to be a shouting message. Hopefully this will be reflective and will challenge you and encourage you to hear, to seek the heart of God. We're praying to God that he will stir up his spirit in us to believe that there is more in us that he wants to do and he wants to do more through us. And so um, I want you to know And if you are the best of the best, if you are the top of your class, if you're the creme de la creme, if you are on the president's club at your company, if you are part of the dream team in your organization, guess what? God can use you. He really can. I say that because God typically uses ordinary people, though. God typically uses ordinary people like me to do extraordinary things. God, he, he, he really doesn't use uh, the, the spiritual elite or those that are spectacular or things of that nature. God tends to use ordinary people. Does anybody know that? Right, he uses ordinary people, and, and, and if you are open to what the Spirit of God would say to you, I believe that God will speak very directly to some of you, and uh, uh, to some of you, he's going to give you exactly what you need because you are exactly the type of person that he loves to use. God loves to use extraordinarily unextraordinary people. He loves to use remarkably unremarkable people like myself. See, uh, I'm always encouraged by the fact that God loves to use ordinary people. And I, I, I remember uh, this time when I was younger, in 1986. I got any basketball fans in here? In 1986, I know I missed some of y'all. 86? I wasn't born yet. All right, but, but in 1986, I was six years old. You do the math, I ain't talking no more. Right, um, in 1986, there was this basketball uh, NBA slam dunk contest. Right? And the year before, man, my man Dominique Wilkins won the slam dunk contest in 1985. But in 1986, he had a teammate named Spud Webb. Now, Spud Webb was 5'7". Now, that's a blessing for us short brothers. Amen? Right? Uh, Because I'm average height. Average height of an American man is 5'10". I'm right there. Amen? Right? And so so the truth of the matter is, is that I'm always encouraged by this story because Spud Webb in this slam dunk contest was remarkably unremarkable. Right? Everybody else was towered above him. Nobody expected him to win the slam dunk contest, but my man Spud Webb showed up, and he won that thing with some amazing slam dunks. Now, that did something for us shorter brothers, amen? It allowed us to stand tall and stick our chest out and say that, you know what? Anything is possible if you just put your mind to it. What that does to me is that just reminded me, it doesn't matter if you are remarkably unremarkable. If Spud Webb can do that in basketball, imagine what God can do with you and through you in the world. 
So I'm just letting you know I'm the spud web of the spiritual realm, amen. Uh, I'm remarkably unremarkable. Guess what? We all are. But the blessing is, is that God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so I just want us to pray today um, that if you believe that God might speak to you and stir you to even more, I would that you would join your hearts with mine as we pray. Father, um, we asked for your Holy Spirit to stir us to believe that you can do more in us through your power and your spirit divine. God, help us to make a difference in the lives of not only our families, but in the lives of other people. Father, give us the courage and, and the faith to step out on what you call us to do, even when we don't want to and even when it does not make sense. God, would you speak to the hearts of your people today, oh God? Use the gifts of those of us who love you to make a difference in the lives of other people for your glory. That is our prayer today, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. While you're standing, you might as well stay standing. Amen. We're going to read the Word of God. And as I said, we are in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. And so if you would turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, I know I see some, man, we got some hardback Bibles out there. Amen. All right. Um, some of y'all are in your, are in your computer and some of y'all just need to look on the screen. All right. And it reads in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Sheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the Sentinel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came, to a certain, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Somebody say trouble. trouble. Someone say shame. shame. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You may be seated. I want to talk to you just for a short amount of time about the kind of person God uses. The kind of person God uses. When we look at this particular book, we'll see that the entire book of Nehemiah hinges on the story of the walls of Jerusalem. However, the first chapters of this book do not even focus on the walls. Instead, the opening chapters of this book, uh, we see that the walls of Jerusalem actually are, are obscure props in the backstage of this picture. Because the man whom after this, this chapter, not only this chapter, but this book is named, stands front and center. Right in the front and center of this story, we see a man named Nehemiah. Right, and that's significant because the way this book begins teaches us a lesson in and of itself. And here is the lesson. A great move of God begins with a great man or woman of God. Whenever God is about to move, it always begins with a person. Let me say it, let me say it a different way. Let me say it this way. When God wants to do something great in the world, he always begins by calling and preparing a person he can use to bring that work to pass, right? So if God is looking to do something in the earth, guess what he's going to use? He's going to use us. 
He's going to use people. He's going to use you. And so when we look at this text today, we see that the book of Nehemiah hinges on the story of Jerusalem's walls. But when you go through the doors, you find that the story of Nehemiah teaches us the kind of person God uses to do great things. Yeah, when you look at this story about Nehemiah, it's not just about a wall. It is about a person, but it's not just about a person. It reveals the type of people, the type of person that God uses to do God-sized things. Is there anybody in here that, 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 that desires for God to use them? I, I'm being for real. I, I, I mean, you know, I ain't, I, ain't, I ain't trying to just get somebody to raise your hand. Honestly, is there somebody in here that really says, God, I want you to use me. I believe that you can use me. I believe that you can equip me to do extraordinary things. And I know I'm not going to get everybody to clap because somebody's going to say, you know what? I've been used of the Lord and it was kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> it was kind of inconvenient. Right? I know somebody's like, you know what, actually, right now, everything is good for me. My bank account look pretty good. My husband, my wife acting right. My children's grades looked pretty good last year. Everything is good. I don't need to be used right now. But have you ever felt the fact that even in the midst of all that good stuff happening, there seems that something is missing? Even though everything seems to be good, every box is checked, you're doing well, things are fine, you're, you're progressing, you're being promoted, you're, 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 being, you're, you're, you're doing all the right things, but deep down on the inside of you, something is missing, something is void. Can you imagine that possibly it's God stirring something up on the inside of you to say that there is more that I require of you? Maybe God is saying this, you know what, yes, I know that everything is going well, but guess what, I have need of you. And so today, I simply want to challenge you that you know what, today is your day to answer the call of God, to position yourself to be used by God. And I want you to know that this story jumped out to me because I am personally encouraged by the fact that God chose Nehemiah to teach this lesson. It's in this book. There are no overt miracles being done, right, associated with Nehemiah's story. Rather, this is a tale of hard work, prayer, and providence of God at work behind the scenes, right? He is just a regular guy who caught a glimpse of what could and should be. And when he went after it with all of his heart, we see that Nehemiah's life is, uh, is truly saying, if God can use me, God can use anybody. If God can use Nehemiah, this regular dude, this remarkably unremarkable guy, to change the course of history, imagine what he can do with you. And so my challenge for you today is for you to just imagine, God, what is it that you want to use me for? Can I ask this question? I'm going to ask you again. I, I already warmed you up now. Do you really want to be used by the Lord? Let, let me see the hands of the real people. Do you really want to be used by the Lord? Well, I have good, for, good news for you today. God wants to use you. In fact, he will use you. It, it is God's will to use you. Therefore, we really are redundant when we ask God to use us, right? right? We, we, we're asking him to do something that he already desires to do anyway. So I believe that we should amend our prayer, 
right? Instead of praying, Lord, use me, perhaps we should pray, Lord, make me usable. God, 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 before, instead of praying, Lord, use me, the Lord already wants to do that. How about we change our posture, we change our wording and say, Lord, make me usable. Because how many of us know we ain't usable? We're not usable because the Lord can't depend on us. The last thing he gave us to do, we didn't do it. The last person he asked us to pray for, we didn't pray for him. The last person he asked us to walk, we, we didn't walk with him. Guess what? God, Lord, make me usable. Make me somebody you can depend on and count on that's committed to your will and your way. Right? The truth of the matter is, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us have dropped the ball along the way. And our prayer should be, Lord, make me usable. Not only make me dependable, God, but make me sensitive to what you are sensitive about. God, help me to not be so selfish. God, that every time I pray, I'm praying for me, my foe, and no more. God, God, God help, help me understand, God, that there are things that pain your heart that I also need to be praying for. Help me to understand, God, that I need to understand your priorities and begin to pray for and seek after and have a desire to do what you desire to do on the earth. Not only should I be dependable, not only should I be sensitive, but Lord, make me available. Okay, y'all, y'all acting like y'all ain't never told the Lord no. And maybe you didn't say no, but you heard something and you was like, nah, that can't be the Lord. <laughs> that don't make no sense. That's going to be too inconvenient to my normal flow. Right? And so many times, we simply need to understand that Lord... The Lord wants to use us. Our prayer should be, Lord, make me usable. And Nehemiah models for us three basic characteristics that God looks for when he is searching for someone to use. I'm just going to share these three things and I'm going to get out of your way. The first thing that God is looking for is dependability. Dependability. Let's look at, at, at this chapter, right? The first verse of the book of Nehemiah introduces the opening scene of the book. And it begins by telling us the story um, that it is primarily a narrative about Nehemiah that is found in his personal and official journals of the events. It tells us his daddy's name. His daddy's name was Hakaliah, right? Um, and, and, and so it, it, they give us that name because it distinguishes Nehemiah from any other Nehemiahs in the Bible. And also, in order to put of the story in its historical context, it dates where and when this occurs. And so it happens during the Hebrew Sheslev. I know you don't know what Sheslev is. Sheslev is basically the time between mid-November and mid-December on our calendar. And it goes on to say that it was the 20th year of the king of Persia, and his name was Artaxerxes. So do you all see that, that this man Nehemiah finds himself with Artaxerxes, the king, in the midst of Sheslev, which is November, December time frame, and then it pinpoints the geographic location by saying, I was in Susa, the citadel. That is, he was in Susa, which was the winter resort of the Persian king. Now, this little Jewish boy, who was not special, ends up with the king at the ski resort during the winter. <laughs> now, we have the context of what's going on. 
But the truth of the matter is, is when we look at this, what Nehemiah does not tell us, how do you get where you are? We don't know what Nehemiah is or who he is until we get to verse 11. And it's in verse 11 that he says, and I am the king's cupbearer. Now, some of y'all may be like, oh, so he was a butler. Uh, I would say it's a little bit more than a butler. If you know anything about a cupbearer, a cupbearer was arguably one of the most important positions in the ancient Near East. Why? Because if you were a king, you either became a king by inheriting the throne as a birthright, or you became the king by fighting and your army was more mighty than the previous king. So the truth of the matter is, is if you did not inherit it as a birthright, then the only way you became king is by poisoning and getting rid of the king that already existed. Now, how do you begin to poison somebody? You either put it in their food or their drink. So that's where the cupbearer comes in. The cupbearer, what he does is that he eats the food before the king consumes it. He drinks the wine before the wine is consumed by the king to make sure that there was no poison in it. Do you guys know that whoever the cupbearer was had to be a dependable, reliable, committed person, somebody that you can count on? And that's who Nehemiah was. I mean, this guy had to be trustworthy. Because y'all, uh, why, he's doing a dangerous job. Some of y'all ain't even signing up to be a cupbearer. They ain't got enough insurance for me to be a cupbearer. They ain't paying enough for me to be a cupbearer. I, I, I mean, it, it, it was a dangerous and, and, and it could be conceived as a disgraceful job. But the truth of the matter is that the cupbearer was a, a, a job of honor. Why? Because you were always with the king. Wherever the king was, the cupbearer was right there because there was always going to be food or drink, and the cupbearer had to be there. Do y'all realize that the cupbearer was not just tasting food and drinking drink? He was also advising the king. So he was almost like the right-hand man to the king. Do y'all understand that this little Jewish boy had matriculated through this particular culture and now ended up being the second man in charge all because he was dependable? So when the king was looking for someone that he could count on, guess who he looked for and guess who he called upon? He called on Nehemiah. Do y'all know that when God needed a godly governor to go back to, to, uh, to Jerusalem and build the walls that were torn down and the gates that were burned down, do y'all know who he looked for? He looked for the dependable man named Nehemiah. And so I think we dare to learn something from Nehemiah because not only does the world depend on Nehemiah, but God can count on Nehemiah. Why? Because he is dependable. How many of us in here can say, you know what? The Lord knows that he can depend on me. Because the truth of the matter is that some of us have not been very dependable when it comes to God. Huh. Let me ask you this question. Can God find you faithful doing what he last told you to do? Have you been found faithful doing the last position that God placed you in? If not, guess what? That's a great area for us to start. It's to start working on dependability. Right, because the truth of the matter is, is that God needed uh, someone like Nehemiah to fill this gap and to rise up to go and lead the people because the people were not being led. The people had given up on rebuilding the wall or rebuilding the gates. And so he needed a leader, someone like Nehemiah. And here is why God always uses faithful, committed, and trustworthy people. That's who God is looking for. 
those who are faithful, committed, and trustworthy. Now, let's take note of the fact that Nehemiah definitely demonstrated competence, character, and commitment. However, his dependability was not expressed in the area of work that the Lord wanted to use him in, right? Because his education, his expertise, his experience were all tied directly to his official palace duties. However, becoming the leader of the wall restoration project is a natural promotion from being the king's cupbearer. Why? Because the king cupbearer contains some things that someone that that was needed to rebuild a wall already had. He had dependability. He had commitment. He had trustworthy. And basically, that's the first thing that God looks for. Can I let you know that God can come to you and use you if you are dependable. Can I let you know, no matter how mundane, how unfulfilling, no matter how dead in it may seem, give God your best wherever you are. Be dependable. Be careful not to criticize or to to resent or to sleepwalk through your present assignment. Can I let y'all know this? Listen to this real quick. Your present assignment is a divine setup for your future promotion. Your present assignment is a divine setup for your future promotion. God always finds those who are faithful at lesser tasks, and he entrusts them with greater responsibilities. Oh, this is all through the Bible. Let me, let me, let me give you all a couple examples. See, Moses was a sheep herder before he was a great emancipator. Joshua was Moses' assistant before he was Moses' successor. Joseph was a prisoner before he was a prime minister. David was a shepherd before he was a mighty king. Peter, James, and John were fishermen before they became apostles. Even Jesus himself went to the lowly position of a carpenter before he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God looks at the lesser people, those that are responsible for lesser, and then promotes them to things that are greater. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything honorable about filling bags of dirt. Anybody ever filled, filled bags of dirt? That's a humbling job. Because some of us would think this is a mundane job. All you're doing is taking dirt, putting it in a bag. Taking dirt, putting it in a bag. Taking dirt, it's an insignificant task. It's a mindless duty. But do y'all realize the people that do this save lives? Because bags of dirt are used to build embankments, used to build levees, which are able to build up barriers that can protect cities, that can defend homes and save people's lives. But if that person was not faithful to scooping dirt and putting it in the bag, then the city would be destroyed. The people's lives would be destroyed. Do y'all realize that God sometimes gives you small jobs because that small job that you are doing may save somebody's life. It may save the city. It may restore somebody's marriage. But you got to be faithful to the little things, the digging and the shoveling of dirt before God can elevate you to something greater. So don't look down on your present assignment. Your current assignment is simply a setup for your future promotion. But God got to find you faithful in doing the little before he can trust you with the greater. God is looking for somebody who is dependable. And in God's own time and in God's own way, he will promote you. Not only is he looking for somebody with dependability, he's looking for somebody with sensitivity. 
Now, now, now mind you, I'm not, I'm not talking about somebody that weeps when their feelings are hurt. I'm talking about sensitivity means that they are sensitive to what God prioritizes. They are sensitive to what God weeps at. And when God weeps at something, they weep too. Uh, do y'all realize that many times what we weep about has to do everything with ourselves? Very rarely do we weep about the things other people go through. I'll give y'all an example. Uh, just the other night, there was an Amber Alert about a young lady in the Dallas area that was abducted. Do y'all know? I'm going to tell on myself. I'm sitting here studying the Word of God. And even when that came up, I looked at it and it said, oh, that's terrible. Click. I'm in the Word of God and didn't even pause to pray. And I know many of y'all got the Amber Alert and was like, click too. Because we're not concerned about the things that God is concerned. Do y'all know that God's heart ached at the fact that somebody's family had to go through that, that somebody's child had to experience that? Do y'all understand that those are the types of things that our heart should ache about? But so many times, we're just concerned about our stuff. But God is saying, I need some people that are sensitive. Right? If we look at this, and we look at this chapter in chapter one, it sets up the story. But in chapter uh, in chapter one, verse two, we see that this, the the scene is being developed all the more. Nehemiah is at the king's palace. He is in Susa with the king at his winter resort. And what happens is, is that he is there doing his duty, and then there's a servant that comes and says, Nehemiah, there are some men from Judah at the gate, and they are have need of you. And one of them is your brother, Hananiah. Nehemiah says, bring them on in. He rolls out the red carpet for them. They're sitting around the table, and they are eating and fellowshipping and having a great time until Nehemiah asked the question. Nehemiah asked this question, how are the people back in Jerusalem? To which they give him the description of these people, and they use two major words. They say, internally, the people are in trouble, and externally, the people are in shame. And right before that, he says, they use this word, great. And so the people in, in, back in, in the country of Jerusalem, they have, are in great trouble and in great shame. Why is that? Because they have no defense mechanism. Guess what? They are seen as insignificant. Why? Because the wall is down and has been destroyed. I know some of y'all are like, man, who cares about the wall? But the truth of the matter is, in the ancient Near East, what happened was, is that if you didn't have a wall, then you had no protection. If you didn't have a wall, then you were seen as weak, exposed. And the truth of the matter is, God's people had no wall, no defense, and all they could do was sit there and be susceptible to attack. And so their enemies laughed and mocked at them. They found themselves in trouble and in shame until God called up a man named Nehemiah that saw the plight of his people. And it goes on to say that Nehemiah uh, sat down and weeped. He kneeled down and prayed, and then he stood up and acted. Do y'all understand what just happened? Is that Nehemiah began to weep for what God weeps for. He saw God's people are in trouble. He saw that God's holy land has no wall. And if God's people are in trouble and God's holy land has no wall, I know that that, that, that hurts the heart of God. So I'm going to weep and have a, heart, uh, uh, a hurt heart as well. And so what he does is that he begins to weep. What is the last thing you weep for? What is the last thing that you, not, I'm not talking about your bank account being low. When was the last time you weeped about somebody else's plight, somebody else's situation? You know what? Even if you look at this great church that we're a part of, the leaders of this church weep over the fact that year after year, almost a million young adults and students walk away from the faith. Do y'all think that that pains God to know that? 
And so why would it not pain us? Do you understand another thing that this church weeps after our leaders weep after? Is that you know what? There is hunger, even in North Dallas, which is supposed to be an affluent area. You know what? That's why we have things like add to cart so that we can combat these types of things so that people in this area don't have to go hungry. But do y'all know that that's because our leaders see what pains God and therefore we join God where he is already at work in an effort to combat what God sees as a hurtful thing for his people. What is the last thing you weeped about? Do you weep at the fact that some of our children can't read? Did you weep at the fact that sex trafficking is at an all-time high? Do you weep at the fact that, did you know what? There are some people that are looked over, that are left out, that need a voice from people like us that have influence. Do you weep over the fact that there are so many things that can be done and we sit on our bottoms doing nothing because we want to be convenient and comfortable? God is looking for people that are sensitive to what he is sensitive about. Do y'all see that my man Nehemiah, what he did is that he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He fasted and prayed. Now, let me help you understand that typically prayer is our last resort. But for Nehemiah, it was one of the first things that he did for Jerusalem. As soon as he heard the word, he fasted and he prayed. Do y'all understand that we tend to pray as a last resort, but God wants it to be the first line of defense for our lives? We pray when there, uh, we, we pray that when there is nothing else to do. Do y'all understand how it pains God to be when we come to him and say, well, Lord, I've tried everything I can. I guess I'm going to pray to you. God is like, I should have been the first person you came to. Y'all understand, when a problem comes, the person you run to shows who you have your faith in. If a problem comes up and you run and do your own thing, guess who you have faith in? Yourself. If you have a problem and the first person you run to is one of your friends, guess who you have your faith in? Them. We got to be like Nehemiah. When we see a problem, the first person we run to is God because we believe that he is mighty, that he is strong, that he can do anything but fail. And so we see here that we must be sensitive to what God is sensitive about. I love this phrase. Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? God uses people who are sensitive to the heart of God. I submit to you that, that, that Nehemiah's heart was broken when he saw the plight of people. And this was not a cry of social justice. This was not a display of, a display of national pride. Nehemiah was troubled over the condition of Judah, and, and he was passionate about the will of God. If you x-rayed Nehemiah's heart, you would see the heartbeat of the rhythm of the heart of God. Remember that the Jews were not just any group of people, and Jerusalem was not just any city. The Jews were God's chosen people, and Jerusalem was God's holy city. It was a negative reflection on God's name that the Jews were in distress and in reproach and Jerusalem had broken down walls and burned down gates and knowing the vital role of Israel and the great place of Jerusalem he had to align with God's plan and Nehemiah became distressed over the fact that people were not living up to God's calling on their lives. God has more not only for you but there's some people that you overlook that God has more for them as well. I'm going to tell you, man, I have a daughter, and she, she's special. 
she, um, my daughter literally weeps every time she sees a homeless person. She literally weeps. Makes me turn around and go give them money or get them food or something. And you know, at first I was like, this is an inconvenience. I'm trying to get home. <laughs> but these last few times I was like, you know what? If your heart is beginning to pain like God, how dare I not be a great example for you and continue to cultivate that? Now daddy got to go to the ATM and get cash because I don't normally get cash. But I have to do that because my daughter has a pain that I want to cultivate so that she continues to live up to her God-given potential. And I want you to know that not only does God look for dependability, not only does he look for sensitivity, but God looks for availability. If we look at verse 4, when Nehemiah received the bad news from Judah and Jerusalem, he got out of his chair, sat down on the floor, he began to weep and mourn and began to fast right there on the spot. And it said it lasted for many days. Now for you, you might think, what does that matter? The truth of the matter is that the Jewish people really only fasted one day of the year, and that was the Day of Atonement. So the fact that he began a different fast on a different day and that that fast lasted for multiple days lets you know that his heart was really grieved. And the truth of the matter is, is that while he was down there praying and fasting, what he was praying is something that is very particular. He was praying before the God of heaven. Now, this is real specific wording because it could have said he was praying to the Lord, which meant that the Lord was the object of his prayer. Rather, it says that he prayed before the God of heaven, which is a vernacular of submission and yieldability and availability. So in verse 4, this shows record that Nehemiah's reaction to the news about Jerusalem is not about, about, about him, 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 him wanting to just do something. It was about him saying, God, I want to be an instrument that you can use to do something in this situation. God, I'm coming before you, and I want you to use me. Better yet, what he is saying is, Lord, here am I, send me. When was the last time we said, you know what, Lord, here I am, send me. I know it's an inconvenience, but Lord, here I am, send me. I know it's going to cost me something, but Lord, here I am, send me. God, I'm available to you. Anybody here willing to say, God, I'm available to you. Whatever you need for me to do, wherever you need for me to go, whatever you need for me to say, God, I'm available to you. Many of us will sing that song. Lord, I'm available to you. My will I'll give to you. I'll do what you want me to do. Use me, Lord. We be lying. (laughs) But how many times should we turn that around and really say, God, I'm praying before the God of heaven. God, I'm praying before you because I know that you can empower me to do something extraordinary. I may be remarkably unremarkable. I may be an ordinary person. The truth of the matter, I don't even believe in myself, God, but I believe you as the God of heaven that if you empower me to do something, I can change the course of history for your glory. And so today, my central, my, my, my charge, my challenge is simply this. If you really want to be used, I saw all them hands that went up. If you really want to be used by God, how about you change your prayer from Lord use me to Lord make me usable? 
And in making you usable, look at how dependable you are. And if you don't find yourself faithful doing what God last said, how about you start being good at what God has already placed in your hands? And then, guess what? Not only do you need to be dependable, begin working on the fact that I need to be more sensitive to what God is sensitive about. I have to stop looking at the news and just thinking, ah, that's over there. I got to stop looking at situations and, and thinking, you know what, that don't affect my family. If it affects God's people, it should pain our heart. And that pain should drive us to a passion. And that passion should drive us to our knees. And once we get direction from God, we should get up and act and walk according to what God has called for us to do. God has purpose for your life. And it's more than you making money. It's more than you living in a big house. It's more than you having great kids. God has need of you. He's looking for you to be available. 